0: Hello, and good uh, tired morning to everybody. (laughs) Daylight savings is a horrible thing. Uh, I make it known now that we should abolish it. And uh, I never want to lose an hour of sleep dragging ourselves here. But you know, there's no better wake up than to be in God's house, worshiping the Lord together. It's better than any caffeine we could ever get. And I'm thankful to be here this morning. And we're in this series called All In, and we're exploring what it means, what it looks like to go all in with our time, our talent, our treasure, and our testimony. Pastor Craig started things off last week looking at our time, and this week we're focused on our talent. What is our talent? Well, it's honestly just any ability or, or, or gift that we have, um, and, and, and we're called to, to be good stewards of these things. And, and all these things, these, our time, talent, treasure, and testimony, they're all things that are all too easy for us to just clutch tight and hold on to for ourselves Surrender is the way to good stewardship. And when Christ followers surrender all that we have to God, then I promise you God will do amazing things when we do that. I think the most basic thing we need to understand and know about stewardship and surrendering everything to God is that God wants to work through us. God wants to work through through us. I'm going to repeat it again. God wants to work through us. And I'm going to go old school and ask you to say it with me. God wants to work through us. I heard like four people. (laughs) God wants to work through us. All right, you've got it drilled in your head now. Keep that in mind throughout this whole sermon. God wants his, his power, his mercy, his grace, and his love to work through us and literally change the world around us. And he wants to use our talents for good works. That'll do just that. This basic understanding should change our way of thinking. We have a tendency, I think, to say, God, show me my God-given talents so that I can surrender them to you. Instead, we should be saying, God, I surrender any and all talents I may have. Now show me how I can use them for your glory. That's surrendering them Him. Now, the Apostle Paul, thankfully, he elaborates on this so we can have a greater understanding of what it means to surrender our talents to God and the reality that God wants to work through us. So, we're going to spend our time today bouncing a little bit around Ephesians. We're going to focus on two specific passages, though Ephesians 2 8 through 10, and then it connects really well to Ephesians 4. So, if you have your Bibles, you can turn now to Ephesians 2. And I'm going to read these few verses for us, but before I do that, I'm going to invite us to go to prayer one more time during the service. Let us pray. Lord God, we come to you before the reading of your word and just ask that you would reveal yourself to us, reveal your truth to us, God. Help us to have greater understanding and appreciation for the richness of the Holy Scriptures, Lord. Use them to shape us, challenge us, and transform us. We love you and praise you and pray this all in your name. Amen. Listen to what Paul writes in Ephesians 2 8 through 10. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is such a vitally important piece of scripture, and so many amazing truths are revealed. But I wanna pull out a few things that I think lay the groundwork, lay a solid foundation for us to dig into what it means to surrender our talents to God and how God wants to use them to work through us. The first important thing to understand is this, we are not saved by our works. We are not saved by our works, we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We should never ever think that we have to use our talent That we have to do good work in order to earn or maintain our salvation salvation is a gift it is not a reward and there's a vitally important difference and salvation cannot be earned by works because the work of salvation has already been done on the cross when jesus said it is finished he was saying that the work of salvation for humanity has been finished and completed by him On the cross, the work is done. It never has to be done again. So if we embark on this effort to earn our salvation, to do the work of salvation, we are wasting time. We are wasting energy. We are wasting our emotional, mental capacity because the work has already been done. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, not by our works. And if you're sitting here thinking you don't deserve salvation, you're wrong because God decided that you do. And if you're sitting here thinking that you cannot possibly earn salvation, you're right, you can't. But God has decided that you don't have to. Praise the Lord for that. We are not saved by our works, Paul tells us. Paul goes on to teach us that we are God's great work. We are God's great work. This is a reality that should change the way we see ourselves, we see others, and we see the potential that lies in the work that God wants to do Through us. Paul uses the word workmanship. He says, We are God's workmanship. It's a a Greek word for which we get the word poem. And so we could say, We are God's poem. Think about that for a minute. We are God's poem. We are His work that He pours Himself into. And the way it's used in the Greek suggests that this is an ongoing work. We are a work in progress. And so, what does that mean? It means that God is continually crafting us and shaping us. And as we go on our journey with him, he is continually forming us into who he created us to be. We are God's masterpiece. If you're sitting here and you're feeling down about yourself, I challenge you, take a, take a, take a look in the mirror, or take a look in your phone camera, look at yourself, and say, I am God's masterpiece. Because you are, we are his Workmanship. And if we are the workmanship of the creator of the universe, then just imagine the great works that he wants to do through us. So we are not saved by our works. Instead, we are God's great work. And lastly, Paul tells us that God has prepared us to walk in good works. Listen again to to what Paul says in verse 10. He says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, at first glance, there's a few things in this verse that can be a little bit confusing. Uh, First is, what does it mean that God created works for us beforehand? What does it mean that he created these works beforehand? I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that this coming Wednesday at 2 p.m., I'm going to do a good work because God had decided ahead of time that I'm going to do that good work on a Wednesday at 2 p.m. That's not what that means. What it does mean, though, What it means is that we are part of God's creation. We are His workmanship, a part of His kingdom, a part of His plan. And so God has designed us to do good works, and He gives us repeated opportunities to do those good works for the glory of His name, for the advancement of your kingdom. But He never forces us to do those good works. We are not mindless robots who follow God mindlessly. We have a choice to make. That's why we need to be good stewards of our talent, of our gifts and abilities and surrender them to God so that we are more keenly aware of the opportunities we have to use them and we're more ready to do so when the opportunity presents itself. Now, what does it mean when when Paul says to walk in the good works that God has created us to do? Listen, authentic faith will always lead to a changed life. Authentic faith will always lead to a changed life. It may not happen like that. It's a journey. We are a work in progress, remember? But authentic faith will always lead to a changed life. And that means that we are not saved by works, by good works, but we are saved for good works. We're not saved by work. We're saved for good works. James makes this abundantly clear in his letter when he writes that faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. If we say we have faith, but we don't ever do good works for God, don't ever allow God to work through us, then that calls into question the authenticity of our faith. It calls into question the authenticity of our faith. It's a challenging question we should ask ourselves. Again, James makes this clear for us in James 2.18 when he challenges us saying, show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Our faith should be on display. People should be able to see our faith by what we do by the choices we make, by the way we use our gifts and abilities. 2 Corinthians 5:7 tells us to walk by faith, not by sight. That means going through life, walking in step with God's will. And when we do that, we're going to come up against opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to do good work for God, for God to work through us. So in that p- passage of Scripture, Paul makes it clear, we're not saved by works, but we are instead God's great work, Created for great works. Now, with that foundational truth in mind, we're going to jump ahead to Ephesians chapter 4 and we're going to explore what God wants to do through our good works. When we surrender our talent, our abilities, our gifts to Him, God wants to use those things for good works and He wants to accomplish some amazing things through those good works. We're not going to be able to cover everything. It's a long passage I'm getting ready to read to you, so buckle up, uh, sit back, and relax as I read Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 16 to you. But we're going to pick out two very crucial, exciting, amazing things that God wants to do through the work that He wants to do through us. So listen to these words. I, therefore, Paul says, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, joined together and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love paul in his writing he seemed to be a creature of habit he had a way of balancing his letters he would he would take time to lay the the writing in depth to lay the foundation for this absolutely profound concept And then he would go on to explain the implications of that concept in rich and practical ways. And oftentimes, that hinged on the word therefore. And so in in the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul is teaching about the depths of the riches and love that we have in Jesus Christ. And then with the word therefore, at the beginning of chapter 4, he goes on to describe the responsibilities and privileges that come from having that love and richness of Christ in our lives. In this chapter, Paul makes it clear that we inherit a place in God's kingdom and we become a vitally important part of his church. And in this first half of chapter 4, Paul paints a picture of God's church and the power that comes from Christians working together and being good stewards of our talents, of all that God has given us, including our gifts and abilities for Good works. Again, God wants to work through us. Paul expresses so much in this passage, it's too much to, to unpack in one single sermon. So I'm going to do a, a kind of just a fly-by view of some of the highlights that we just read in this in these first 16 verses. Listen, Paul describes the characteristics that believers are to inhabit in order to create fertile ground for God's good works to thrive. These are humility, gentleness, patience love, and unity. Then he describes the oneness that connects all Christ followers and is the root of this unity. It's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. Our faith isn't confusing. It's crystal clear. We have all these ones in common. Paul then describes the beautiful structure of God's church, which he compares to the the synergy and collaboration that exists within the intricacies of the human body, this complex workings that God created within us. Paul describes that there are those that God calls specifically to leadership roles in the church in what's become known as the apest, the apostles, the evangelists, the prophets, the shepherds, and teachers. And the primary role of these positions in God's church are to equip the saints for the work of ministry, Paul says. Who are the saints? Every single believer is a saint. You can go ahead and say, I'm a saint. If you're a believer, say, I'm a saint. Look to the person next to you and say, call me Saint so-and-so from now on. <laughs> all right? If you believe in Christ, you are a saint, and you are to be equipped for the work of ministry. We are all called to do good works. God wants to work through us. Now, Paul, it goes on to explain what God wants to accomplish through all the saints of the church doing the work of the ministry. And I just want to highlight two of these things. They're they're amazing. First, God wants to use our good works to help us live up to the marvelous calling we have in Christ. He wants to help us live up to the marvelous calling we have in Christ. Paul implores us in Ephesians 4.1 to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we have been called. Here's that word walk again. Remember in Ephesians 2, the passage we read earlier, Paul says to, to walk in good works that God prepared for us. Now he urges us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. And when Paul used that word urge, when he says, I urge you, To walk in a manner. He's he's using attention-grabbing language here. He's he's, uh, ringing bells and blowing all the horns in his language to get people's attention. He's basically saying, listen to these words because they are critical. They are critical. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling we have in Christ. This is life-changing stuff that Paul is talking about. So to walk in a manner worthy of our calling Means walking in good works that God created us to do. That's part of it. So, what is this calling to which we have been called? Well, Paul wrote all about that in the first three chapters of Ephesians. So, open your Bibles to Ephesians 1. I'm going to read all three chapters. Just kidding. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do a highlight reel of what this calling we have in Christ that Paul describes in Ephesians 1 through 3. Listen to this. These are just some of the highlights. Paul says that we have been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Paul says we've been called to be holy and blameless. He says that we've been adopted as children through Jesus Christ, in whom we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of our trespasses. Paul says that in this calling, God's grace has been lavished upon us. God has just poured out his grace and poured it out and poured it out and poured it out. And then Paul says that we have been given an inheritance which is sealed by the Holy Spirit for whom, Paul says, we are being built together into a dwelling place for that Holy Spirit and which then gives us, Paul says, access to endless hope, glorious spiritual riches, and the immeasurable greatness of God's power. Amen. That's the calling we have in Jesus Christ. Now, how can we possibly live up to that calling? What can we possibly do? Walk in the good works that God has created us for. And God gives us these good works and he empowers and equips us to do them as a result of our faith if we are good stewards and surrender our talents to him. So again, God wants to use our good works to help us live up to the marvelous calling we have in Jesus Christ And what a calling it is. There's nothing else in the universe like it. You will never find anything else like the calling that you have in Jesus Christ. The second thing that God wants to do through our works is this. God wants to use our good works to maintain unity that builds up the body of Christ. God wants to use our good works to maintain unity that builds up the body of Christ. Part of the way in which we are to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, Paul explains in verse 3, is to walk with an eagerness to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The word unity is just strewn throughout these these, uh, chapters in this letter, and and, and Paul's making something very clear that, one, unity within the body of Christ is absolutely critical. Why? Why? Well, a few things. First, disunity destabilizes the body of Christ. It totally destabilizes the body of Christ. Unity leads to a maturity in our faith and, and the full stature of Christ. Stature, that's like our posture. It's like standing straight and tall, right? I have poor posture. But we are, we are to attain maturity in our faith and the full stature of Christ. Picture someone standing upright that's being uh, buffeted by all these forces against them. So unity in the body of Christ will help believers stand up to the assaults of the enemy, the attacks of the enemy, the lies of the world. Paul uses language to to describe the danger of not having this maturity and this stature. He says in Ephesians 4.14, he says, Have this unity so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Have you ever swam in the ocean? Anybody ever swim? Anyone ever experience undertow when the waves are crashing on you? It's fun. It's fun to ride waves, but if you're not paying attention, it can be really bad. It can suck your bathing suit right off your body if you're not careful. (laughs) It can whip you all upside down and slam you into the the seashell, sandy shore underneath the water and scrape you up. It can be dangerous. This is the language Paul is using to describe what we're up against in the world and why we need this unity to have the full stature of Christ so we can stand up against that. Unity is key to that. Second, disunity just diminishes the church's effectiveness in ministry and sharing the gospel. Let me say that again. Disunity diminishes the church's effectiveness at ministry and sharing the gospel. In verse 16, Paul says that the final product of all that we're talking about here today is that that the body of Christ is, is growing and building itself up. That's what God wants. He wants the body of Christ to grow and build itself up. The body of Christ grows when when current believers disciple one another to help each other experience maturity in their faith. And then the body of Christ grows when new believers are added to God's kingdom. I don't think we fully appreciate the harm it causes when a non-believer or an unchurched person or someone who's brand new to their faith witnesses disunity within the body of Christ. It derails the witness that we have. It derails it. Unity is so vitally important. And then Paul makes it clear that unity within the body of Christ is a team effort. It's a team effort. We all have a role to play. Remember, Paul calls on the the apest to equip the saints for the work of ministry. He goes on to say that we all do the work of ministry so that we all attain, he says in verse 13, we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Remember earlier, Paul described all the things that unify us in our faith. One God, one faith, one hope, one baptism, one Father of all. He describes all those ones that unify us in our faith. But in verse 7, he says something interesting. He says, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. What does that mean? It means that God has given us a uniqueness and an individuality. That doesn't diminish unity, it actually contributes to it. Diversity in gifts and talents and personalities are needed in the body of Christ. Lasting peace and lasting unity that builds up the body of Christ happens when all believers are working together. When all believers are working together and surrendering their talents to God for His glory, for His purposes to do good works through us, it cannot be the old adage that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. There will be no unity within the body of Christ if that's how it goes. <clears throat> it should be 100% of the saints surrendering their talents, their gifts and abilities to God so God can work through each one of us in the unique way that he's going to equip us to do that. God wants to use all of our good works together to maintain unity and build up the body of Christ, That's what God wants to do through us. And if those things happen, the world will be changed. The world will be changed. If you look at anything going on in the world today that's not good, the solution is Jesus Christ. The solution is Jesus Christ. And God wants to bring Jesus Christ to everyone through the good work he wants to do through us. If we surrender everything to him. Let me, let me recap with this. This is, this is the big take home, okay? Listen closely to this. We are saved by grace through faith, all right? And God adopts us into his family and kingdom. He begins to shape us into his masterpiece and opens the door for us to do so many good works in his name. As you take the time today and in the weeks ahead to examine what stewardship and surrender looks like in your life, let's remember one final thing. All right, one final truth that Paul shares with us. God is able to do far more with our good works than we could ever hope or imagine. Paul ends Ephesians 3 before he goes into chapter 4 with an amazing prayer. Listen to what he says. He prays this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. He says God is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. So if you can think of it, God can do it differently and better than you could possibly ever think of. If it's something you are thinking to ask for, God's going to go beyond that in mighty, powerful ways. Using our talents for good works for God is a tangible way to express Christian love. And God just has an endless capacity to surprise us. He just has this endless capacity to surprise us. We've been, we've been camped in, in uh, this letter, of Ephesians, which Paul wrote. And Paul, he, he had this immense talent for writing, to teach concepts that had never been taught before. Paul literally created certain words to describe the, and, and explain just what Jesus' death and resurrection means for humanity. Language didn't exist before to explain the depth and riches of the calling we have in Jesus Christ. So Paul used his gift, empowered by God, to do just that. Much of the New Testament is made up of letters written by Paul. Perhaps the most well-known, quoted, dissected, uh, influential one that he wrote is his letter to the church in Rome, Romans. Romans. I would say, aside from the four Gospels, this could be the most influential piece of New Testament Scripture. Why did Paul write this letter? What what inspired or motivated Paul? What was his motivation for writing this letter to the Romans' church? It's simple. He tells us in Romans 15, he wanted to go to Spain. That's why he wrote the letter. Paul had this vision one day of traveling to Spain and and sharing the gospel there and preaching to the Gentiles there. And so Paul wrote this letter to the church in Rome because he would have to travel through Rome to get to Spain. And so this letter would precede him as a way of introducing him to the Christians there. Because Paul, quite frankly, he would need to stay with some of them. He would need to maybe raise a little bit of money to fund his trip. That's why he wrote this letter. Now, why does... Any of this matter? What does this have to do with what we're talking about? Listen, there is no concrete, irrefutable evidence that Paul ever made it to Spain. There's nothing in the Bible that says, after Romans written, that he made it to Spain. There are two ancient historians, Christostom and Jerome, who say that Paul made it to Spain, but there are countless other ancient historians and and archaeologists who say there's no evidence exists that he actually ever made it there. Okay? Listen, Paul's original purpose for writing this letter may never have come to fruition. But what did God do with this letter? Far more than Paul could have ever hoped or imagined. Paul was just hoping to have a place to stay and raise a little bit of money, introduce himself to the church in Rome. Paul, our God used this letter. We can say that because of Christ and because of this letter, that the church as we know it today exists. It's the letter to Romans that inspired uh, uh, Martin Luther to, to nail up his treatises on the door and start the reformation of the church. The Protestant church exists because of Romans. One letter God used to literally change the entire world. There are billions of Christians in the world today because of this letter. Because Paul surrendered his talent for writing to God. And he wrote a letter. And then God said, you know what I can do? Far more abundantly than you can ever hope or imagine. And so if you're ever thinking here, if you're sitting here thinking, there's nothing I can do, what can I do? How can I contribute? God used a letter to change the world. Think about that next time you send an email or write a text or post on social media. Who knows what God can do? God can take any of our gifts or abilities if we surrender them to him and use them to create unity, to help us live up to the calling we have in Christ, and to grow and build the church in ways that we can never hope or imagine to even come up on our own. That's the best thing we can do. The first step anyone can take is to say yes to Jesus. Say yes to Jesus. If you're sitting here watching online, you haven't done that yet, say yes. And you know what? God's going to be, begin the work of making you his masterpiece. And you're gonna, it's going to be a beautiful thing that God does in your life. For the rest of us, there's some things we can do. The first thing, most important thing we can do is spend consistent time in God's word. Meditate it in our hearts, our minds, and in our souls. There's no better way to know God's will for our life so that we can walk in a manner worthy of our calling, and walk in good works than knowing God's word. And then the second thing is just assess where you are in your walk right now. If you're not sure if you're walking in God's will, try and think back to the last time that God was able to work through you to advance his kingdom. If you can't think of something, then maybe it's time to realign your walk. Let's pray. God Almighty, we thank you, thank you, thank you so much <sighs> that you love us enough, God, that you, you want to just work in us to make us your masterpiece, who you created us to be. And then, Lord, you want to work through us to reach people with the love and message of Jesus Christ to grow the kingdom and grow the church and create unity. And all that, when believers work together, God, we just we just reciprocate, Lord, around and around, meeting each other's needs, building up one another, Lord, bearing one another's burdens, God. It's your church. So, Lord, I lift up anyone to you who's not yet invited you into their hearts, that today would be the day of their salvation. Today would be the day they surrender themselves and say yes. And for those of us who've already done that, God, show us any area of our life that we haven't surrendered to you so that we can do that now and start to experience, God, fully the work you want to do in us and through us. We love you and praise you and thank you. Amen.